Right, uh, so we're continuing our wholeness series. We're on week four, I think. We're talking about relational wholeness. So if you've got your Bible, um, a paper Bible, a proper Bible, or a one on your phone, which is equally valid, um, do have a turn to Mark 12, chapter 28. I'll give you a second or two to do that. This is where somebody is coming up to Jesus and they're asking them, okay, out of everything that you're teaching, out of all of this mind-blowing, culture-shifting, changing teaching that you're bringing, what is the most important thing? I think that person was very savvy, actually, to ask that question. To go up to the Son of God and say, okay, I get everything you're teaching, but just tell me what's the bit I really need to get. And then Jesus goes back into the Scriptures, into the Old Testament We call it the Old Testament, but that's because we're used to colonizing things, because actually it wasn't the Old Testament at the time, it was the Hebrew Scriptures. We call it the Old Testament. There's some thoughts that we need to do around that, because we're used to going into things and taking them as our own, but it existed by itself um, in the first place. So not everybody calls it the Old Testament. The Jewish people wouldn't see it as that, but that is a whole other story. So Mark 12, 28, let's have a look. The greatest commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. How beautifully simple, simple, how incredibly complex, how straightforward, yet how we stumble again and again how we create a religion out of some very simple commands and we begin to become gatekeepers to who is allowed in, who is, who is valid, who's allowed a place at the table, when actually it's God is saying to us, these are the most important things. So I believe it's really important for us to get a grip and a hold of this, for all of us to get a hold of this this, this morning. My, one of my biggest prayers is, God, help me to love God, please help me to love. Danny Silk, um, he's a pastor out in California somewhere. He talks about at the end of days when we go and stand before God, which we will do. We'll go and stand before God. And I be- he says, I believe one of the questions he'll ask us is, did you love well? Did you love well? I've started doing this thing. I love oils. I love having oils in my house. My house always smells nice of oils, I'd hope. And I've started to get just a little bit of frankincense, not because I think there's anything deeply spiritual or um, supernatural necessarily about it. But I just as I'm praying, I'm just starting to learn to just pop it on my heart and just say, God, help me to love others, to love myself and to love you. And it's really good because frankincense smells really strong. So when I'm in the car and I'm feeling a bit road ragey, I just smell it and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm meant to be loving others. I'm meant to be loving myself. I'm meant to be loving God. And it really helps. It really helps trigger my senses and for me to remember this is the path that we're meant to be walking out as followers of Jesus, loving God, loving others and loving ourselves. And they're incredibly, beautifully interlinked. So we're going to be looking at this as our base passage for this idea of relational 
wholeness. And relational wholeness is kind of where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? I think we can go to the gym, we can eat healthy, we can make good choices for our physical wholeness. We can kind of um, pretend and hide behind a bit of a facade sometimes with our emotional and our spiritual wholeness. But our relational wholeness is kind of where the rubber hits the road because it's where we're relating to other people. It's where, other, it's where kind of what's inside of us, what's going on inside of us gets outworked for everybody to see. If you're in a relationship with somebody, no matter who it is or what the capacity, what the type of relationship is, they'll get an idea of what's going on inside of you by the way that you are relating and communicating to them. And I often think I'm doing a really good job at relational wholeness when I'm on my own. <laughs> when I'm on my own and I've been on my own for the day, I feel really relationally whole. When I'm on my own and I'm doing a nice Bible study or maybe I've got a study day and I'm writing something about the fruits of the Spirit, I absolutely nail it. But it's when the boys come home and Dan comes home and family and people and people come around, I realize that actually maybe I need to do some work on this idea of relational wholeness. But God tells us that we're not designed to be on our own. The whole way that our brain is wired, the whole way that our whole physiology and our neurobiology knits together is that we're better with other people. God, right at the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth, however you believe, however you believe he did it. Did he do it in seven days or seven stages? I don't think it necessarily matters. We can all disagree well on that stuff, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, seven day creation. Where am I at? It's not good for man to be alone. So, he created and it was good and it was good and it was good. And he created humans and they were very good. And then he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if you're single here this morning, we talk about this before. If you're single and ready to mingle or you're single and you've decided on celibacy, if you're single and your relational status is tricky and complicated and hard for you right now, when we're talking about this not good for man to be alone, know that we're talking about community. We're not talking about you have, in order to be fully complete human being, you have to be married in a very conventional relationship. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying that. Please don't feel that you're not right at the center of this message if you are not in the, not in the category where you're married to somebody. Please don't feel that. We're talking about this idea of community. It's not good for any human to live in isolation. Our whole physiology tells us that. And that might be good news for some people, this idea of man, not, it's not being good for man to be alone. Some people love to be around people, you extroverts, you people who love people around you all the time, who love to get their energy from other people, that's good. If you're introverted, sometimes this isn't the greatest thing for you because you're like, well, I'm quite happy being on my own, actually. I feel loads of energy when I'm on my own. I feel like I'm a really nice person when I'm on my own. It's when other people come along that I begin to struggle. But God's word tells us it's not good for humans. It's not good for his creation to be isolated and to be on their own because we're wired for love. We're wired for relationships. We're wired for connections. That's why I believe that God uses the body of Christ to make sure nobody's on their own, to knit us together. You know, just a hand on the, sh on the shoulder, a compassionate look to somebody begins to change what's going on inside their body. I learned this amazing fact the other day. This is no judgment on anyone that's had Botox. But there's something about the ability for one human 
to show compassion to another human. And they've done some amazing um, studies around how that compassion is transmitted from one person to another person. And a lot of it is in your facial expression. It's in your eyes. So those of us, no, no, I haven't had Botox. I <laughs> uh, can't afford it on my wage. Anyway, um, no, <laughs> I haven't had Botox. But the people who have had Botox can limit their ability to transmit compassion to one another. Our bodies are the way, just being able to greet one another, to look at one another. That's what the greeters on the door, the hand on the shoulder. Something's connecting. It's something that God's wired us to do, that if we decide to sit on our own, we don't get it. We don't live in that relational wholeness that God has designed us to live in. We are designed to be connected. There's so much amazing science around the importance of human connection, the importance of our experience of being connected and touched and loved and empathized with and given compassion to. And that starts, some of that, some of that starts right back in our experience in the womb when God, as it says in Psalm 139, knitted us together. He created us and wired us together and put this intricate humanity together that there's something going on even at that stage where we are wired for connection and love and affirmation. So our greatest command is to love God, it's to love others and love, our, love ourselves, which does ask the human question, when I'm not doing those things very well, when I'm not loving God as well as I could or as well as I see the person next to me doing, or I'm not loving my neighbor or my partner or my kids or my work, the people in my workplace very well, when I'm finding it really hard to love myself, when we're struggling with those very human things, the question that I end up thinking, is God, is God angry? Is God angry at me when I'm not doing this most important thing to love him, to love others and to love myself? But I'm just remembered about that God himself is love. That there's not a measuring stick that we're being beaten with this morning saying, love is patient, fail. Love is kind, fail. Love is long-suffering, fail. Which we can often think, oh, I'm falling short. I'm messing up. But this love that we're talking about is God himself. That he is patient with us. He is kind with us. He is compassionate to us. He sits with us and gives us that compassionate look because God hasn't had Botox. He gives us that. Con he's the <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to make a rubbish joke. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> Where God looks at us with those compassionate eyes and we can be fully seen that he loves us. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in love. So what I don't want you to hear this morning is when we're looking at relational wholeness, fail, fail, fail. I'm messing up. I'm falling short. I shouted at my kids. I'm going through a messy breakup. All that kind of stuff. I, I just want you to hear that God is love. That the only way we can even begin to do this stuff, and we're going to unpack this in the points, the only way we can even begin to go to live a life that lives out this commandment of loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves is if we get a revelation of just how loved we are. We cannot hustle this love. We cannot generate it in any other way than us knowing that we are so completely, totally, and utterly loved. Every single one of us. If there's one thing that binds us together here this morning, it's just that we're so incredibly loved. We don't disappoint him. He's not irritated with us. He's not cross with us. He doesn't want to distance himself from us or cut himself off from us. He loves 
us. The only way we can walk out this commandment is if we can allow head knowledge to become heart knowledge, if we can allow it to come and knit our brains together so we can wire ourselves according to the love of God. Maybe some of you have absolutely nailed it. Maybe you absolutely know just how loved you are and it's glorious. But maybe some of us are stumbling around in the dark a little bit, faced with our own shadow and our own brokenness and our own wonderings about whether God could really love us. He does. The word tells us from the beginning to the end that he loves us. In fact, the world word became flesh and dealt, dwelt among us to be able to show us just how much he loved us. So you are loved in this place this morning. And I'm believing that God, Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals, will do some healing amongst us who need to know that again this morning, who need a fresh revelation that we are totally and utterly loved. And it is the most simple thing. It's the first thing you hear. It's the thing that we sing in in um, kids, if we um, went to Sunday school when we were younger, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's the stuff that we learn, but to be able to really get a grips with, grip with that is actually quite big stuff. So I just want us to pause for a little bit this morning. And I heard, again, I did some fantastic training on Friday, and it taught me about how we need to change our state before we can change our story. If we need to change our story, if we need to know that we're loved in order that we can love others more, if we need to change our story so we can love ourselves more, if we need to change our story so we can love God more, we first need to change our state. Now, there's some really interesting stuff around how we do that with our front brain, our back brain, our vagus nerve, all of that exciting stuff if you're into that. But really what it can start with is this just great scripture that God gives us. Be still and know that I am God and God is love. So we can paraphrase that as be still and know that I am love. So maybe just have a think this morning. I'll just pause for 30 seconds for you to think, just to connect with God, just to begin to change our state a little bit and just sit in his love. Remember that we are totally and utterly loved. And as we do that, I just want to read this a little bit from this Father's love letter, which I'm going to give out at the end. So it says this, it's paraphrased from scripture and it says this, my child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I'm familiar with all of your ways. For you were made in my image. In me, you live and move and have your being. You're my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I'm not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you. Now, that's just an excerpt, excerpt from a long, a lovely bit of writing all taken from scripture around how God feels about us. But I believe that if we're going to walk in this relational wholeness, if we're going to love God, love others and love ourselves, we must first really get a revelation that we are so very, very loved. So 
Let's have a look. We've got a couple of points this morning. All Remember, all Alive locations are preaching the same stuff. We've got a, an, um, an outline of the notes, and we're all unpacking it. So my hope is that across all of Alive Church, we're all getting a fresh revelation of just how loved we are, and that love will go on and change the world. So point one, let's have a look at relational wholeness. Relational wholeness flows from loving God. We cannot be relationally whole separate from a relationship with God. God desires to bring us into a relationship with him. And it is that in that relationship that we will get made relationally whole. Body, soul, spirit. The greatest and the most significant relationship we could ever have and enjoy is with God himself. Are you with me? You're very quiet this morning. Okay, maybe I should ask for some amens like Dan. Feel free to do that if you want. Um, So, but relational wholeness comes from loving God. Our most significant relationship we could ever have and enjoy is with God. What does loving God look like? It looks like enjoying him, delighting in him, wanting to spend time with him, wanting to please him, boasting about him, telling him I love you. Now, all that stuff is an outflowing of our love of of our love for God and being in a loving relationship with God. But this is the crux for me, this, that we only love God because he first loved us. That's why we can even begin to love God because he first loved us. And it's here in 1 John 4. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. Um, And then it goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. We are so totally and utterly loved by God and we need to be able to receive his love first and foremost. Someone wrote, and I'm not sure where the quote comes from, that the greatest thing we will ever learn is to love and to be loved is to love and to be loved in return, to be loved and to love in return. I can't remember where that quote came from. It might even be from a film or maybe you know where it's from. But that's not dissimilar to what Jesus says is the great command. This loving God, loving others and loving ourselves is so intrinsic. We can't do one without the other. We can't love God without loving ourselves because and knowing that we're loved, we can't love others without loving God. It's so beautifully and brilliantly interlinked. And that's why it's such a simple command. Yet it's so complex as well, because we are brilliantly beautiful, complex creatures, some more than others, perhaps. But Jesus said something not dissimilar to this in his command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God, love the, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your strength. And I wonder if any of us this morning, and I said it again, I'm going to keep coming back to this point if we just need a reminder about his love. I think God loves to remind us of how loved we are. Dan and I have started this thing with our boys. Um, it's usually when just we're just with one of them, but say Smithy, for example, is sat in the back of the car. And Dan and I start having a conversation about how much we love him. So he's sat listening to all of this, and I'm going... Dan, don't you just love this about Smith? Don't you just love that he's really funny and really kind? And Dan's like, oh, yeah, I love that about Smith. That's, I love that. It's one of my favorite things about him. And we begin to have this conversation. And we can't, I'm, I'm kind of looking in the rearview mirror as we're having this conversation about him. His face. He walks out that car with swag. He walks out feeling 10 foot tall. We do it to Hudson. Oh, don't you just love Hudson? Don't you love how creative he is, how funny he is, how kind and gentle he is? He then becomes 10 foot tall. If we as broken humans do that to our children, how much more does God want to do that to you? 
Joe, what God loves about you. Don't you love that he's quirky and creative and that he's so musical that he cheers on his son? Deborah, don't you just love how she used the heart of God to go out into the social work field and love people back to life? Luke, don't you just love the way, God, don't you just love what a good daddy is and how he stands by his wife and how he just loves and loves and loves his boys and teaches them right from wrong? God loves to do this for every single one of, it, one of us. He absolutely adores us. That's not just try advertising to get you into the church. That's truth. He absolutely, totally and utterly loves you. Tune in and ask him, God, what are you saying over me? As I'm sat in the back seat of the car, wide-eyed, waiting to hear what my daddy has to say about me. And he'll tell you. He tells you through his word. But he'll tell you. I believe he'll tell you the things that he loves. Joe Ryland doesn't God just love your sensitive heart, your sensitivity, the way that you can walk into a room and see who's hurt and broken? He loves that about you. There's things that I could say. I've got such a privilege to know this room. And there's things that would take the rest of the service and beyond and beyond. But I could go around and say, James, I love your strength and how you come over adversity and how you come alongside the brokenhearted and how you battle through thing after thing to be the best person God's called you to be. If I see that in you and can call it out in you, how much more does your daddy in heaven just want to speak that over you? Please can we tune into the word of God because the enemy loves to tune us out. He loves to tune us out with shame and blame and accusation and all of the stuff that we get wrong. And that's why when we're not loving others very well, when we're not loving God as well as we could, when we're not loving um, ourselves as well as we could, the enemy loves to shout condemnation at us. But what does God do? He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. We are preaching a gospel of grace, not a gospel of works. This, when you are feeling, I'm missing it, fail, 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 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Oh, I failed that 7.05 this morning. Yep, I failed that 7.05 this morning when I trod on some blooming Lego. <laughs> love is patient. God is patient. He's patient with me. He's kind with me. He wants us desperately to be relationally whole. But we cannot do it apart from just sitting and soaking in his love. If you want to love well, you've got to know just how loved you are. So we only love because he first loved us. So point one, what was point one? I can't remember. Hopefully you wrote it down. Thank you, thank you. Um, relational wholeness flows from loving God. Point two, relational wholeness, it does involve loving others. We're not an island, we're connected. Amazing research about what happens when we're kind to other people. How we can actually mimic people's neurobiology. Amazing study. So there's this person who is going in, um, they're sat in a waiting room, and they're going um, in, they're all wired up, ready to have some tests done on them around this idea of empathy and compassion. You know, for those of you who might not feel like you're upfront razzle-dazzle people and you're involved in all this kind of stuff, but you're gently behind the scenes loving people and showing people empathy and compassionate to people, you're the people that are changing the world. That's the stuff that changes the world, the compassion, the empathy, the love, the getting alongside people, the arm around the shoulder, and sometimes the kick up the bum. But that's the stuff that changes the world. So this person's all wired up. They're ready to go in for um, some testing around how we can quantify what happens when we're shown empathy and love and how we can begin to mimic what's in each other's bodies. So if someone's peaceful, then our body begins to mimic the peace within them. So they're all wired up. 
And they don't realize that actually while they're in the very waiting room, there's somebody sat next to them praying. So they're all already wired up. And as this person prays, something happens in the other person's body. Their breathing begins to regulate. Their heartbeat begins to slow down. And they begin to mimic the neurobiology of the person who's praying, who's declaring truth over them. We can do that for other people. You know, if we can take responsibility for ourselves and we can know just how loved we are by God, just by going into a room, it changes the people around us. Gwen, you praying beforehand, God, fill this place and fill me. People come in and it has an impact on their body. It has an impact on their heart, their breathing, how they regulate their body. If we can only just get a glimpse of how loved we are. If we can only continue to get revelation, fresh manna, fresh bread. Because, you know, we don't just understand it once. We don't just need to think, oh, God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible told me so. This is an ongoing revelation. God loves to reveal it to us again and again. But, you know, if we can get this revelation, we take it everywhere we go. Because this revelation does something at a very cellular level in our bodies. So then when we go and we're around our children who are distressed or our workplace where it's stressful and tricky or into a community project where people are broken and really need peace, we take that with us and it begins to impact their body. That's really loving people, isn't it? That's really loving people, helping them to shift their state, shift their chaotic state so that they can then go on and shift their story. Don't we want to see that in people's lives? Let me help you shift your state so you can shift the story, so you can know that you're loved, so you can love others and love yourself and love God. That's what we want to do. But we've got to get our state right. Our state's got to be one of being so incredibly, totally and utterly loved. And I just think God loves to tell us how loved we are this morning. Where are we at? Five minutes in. Sam, do you want to come up? Sorry, you're busy scribbling notes. Maybe your wife can um, do it on your behalf. But if you just want to come up, because I'd like to take, um, we've got another point, and I'm literally just going to highlight it. But I'd like to take a minute just for you to respond to this. Um, Just by yourself, we're going to play some music. I think the Father's Love Letter stuff. Um, Stacey's going to be on the door with some at the end. But if you just want to come up, and um, I'm going to put, Sam, do you mind putting one on that side and that side? And if you want to come up, just as a um, uh, just a stepping out of, I want to know more of this love. I want to get in. I want to receive more of this love. You can come and get one of these. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can get one on the door or at the connect area afterwards. But we are wired for love, and God's desire for us is relational wholeness. But that's got to flow out of knowing just how loved we are. So we're created to love God to love others, and to love ourselves. God wants to liberate us to love. Some of us, because of, I mentioned earlier that some of this stuff happens in the womb. Some of the stuff of how we do relationships get goes right back to the very beginning of our lives. And for some of us, that wasn't easy. For some of us, that was messy and broken. And we didn't get all of that. We didn't fully understand the love of God. We didn't fully understand or understand relationships. But I believe that God wants to liberate us this morning so we can love. Liberate us this morning so we can receive his love. Because if we want to be people who follow Jesus, and Jesus says, look, the most important things, guys, is to love God, love yourself, and love others. We cannot do that. 
without a continued fresh revelation of just how loved we are. He wants to liberate us to love. He loves us with a father's love. He's compassionate, fiercely loyal. He rejoices. He rejoices over you with singing. I love that thought. He's not disappointed. We don't have to impress him. We're forgiven, and therefore we must forgive. So could it be here that there are people who need to fall deeper in love with God? We just need to up our game with how we love others. We really need to step into a new way of thinking with how we love ourselves. It starts with knowing with just how loved you are. So I'm gonna, the band are going to do what the band are going to do. Feel free to come up and get one of these poems. It's just beautifully scriptural. It's um, paraphrased scriptures, just a love letter from God to you. So for the last couple of minutes, feel free to come up, come up and get one of those while the band play over us.